The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Sure. So let's start with your history a little bit and uh, your uh, kind of path to becoming the head of the Financial Survival Network before we describe what that is. Well, I guess it kind of goes back to uh, to college. Um, I wanted to be an econ major, but went to Pace University and basically all of the staff there were well, the economics professors were pretty much uh, to the left. Uh, they were professional academics, and their main their main preoccupation was unionizing the faculty of the university. Me being an entrepreneur, fourth generation, that was just repugnant to me. I thought economics was about building wealth, about uh, how economies grew and failed, and I just thought that was the worst thing. And then I was watching, watching uh, PBS when it was still watchable, and Milton Friedman and Rose Friedman put together a wonderful special called Free to Choose, and I was just hooked. Uh, kind of studied Hong Kong, Japan, island nations that really had no resources except their people, and basically built wonderful economies, prospering economies, where... The majority of people uh, built uh, built up businesses, really prospering economies, and there was something to it, and I was hooked. And then I really studied economics on my own for many, many years, came to the uh, Austrian School of Economics, and really been an adherent to it uh, for going on 40 years now, and this really, is like von Mises, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, Mises, uh, Hayek, mm-hmm. and uh, Rothbard, that school, and mm-hmm. really more libertarian than than anything else. Just really feeling that the government uh, wreaks havoc whenever they intercede into the economy to uh, to try to right wrongs, and they create wrongs that are far greater than any that they sought to remedy. Mm-hmm. And it's been like that throughout history. And, you know, I kind of took a break from it all in my uh, 20s and 30s, just raising a family, running businesses myself, and didn't really have time to get involved. Then came the crash in the uh, 2000s, you know, 2000. Well, I saw it coming in 2006 when I was in Las Vegas, stepped out on a curb. I was practicing law with my partners, looked around and saw on top of every single taxi cab within sight, 
$693 a month, no money down, brand new, three-bedroom, two-bath townhouse. And I said, this is it. The real estate boom is over. It's all going to crash. <laughs> I and, say, okay. And how did and, you play that? How you, you predicted it. How did you play the, uh, the crash of 2008? I, I wish I had played it better. I knew what was coming. I didn't really position myself. It's kind of like I couldn't say to the wife, let's just sell everything and, and just <laughs> you know, rent. That was what I knew was the right play. And I knew people who did that. But unfortunately for me, I wasn't one of them. But I didn't lose too badly being in New York. In the uh, affluent Westchester market, didn't take too bad a hit. But I knew it was coming, and I bought gold, basically. Did quite well at it. And then and you set up the Financial Survival Network uh, at that time, about 2008 or so? Yeah, yeah, 2008, 2009, that's when I set it up. Because I just knew that the government was lying, that this was a meltdown of really epic proportions, worse even than the uh, 1929 crash. And... So far, it hasn't disappointed. So tell us about the Financial Survival Network. The website for it is financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Is that correct? Yep, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Or you could get there going to kerrylutz.com. And what I really wanted to do is, honestly, Jordan, I know I'm not the most brilliant economic mind out there, but I'm a thinker, and what I wanted to help you do is to think as well. So I just get guests of all paths, all philosophies, whether they believe in Keynesianism, that you can just print your way out of it and spend your way out of it, or whether they're libertarians or Austrians, whatever, want you to really think because pretty much blind adherence to the Keynesian uh, economic meme is what got us into this mess, but it's not what's going to get us out. And that's, that's what we're dedicated to, is giving you as many ideas and uh, philosophies and ways of thinking as possible so you find your own way out of it. And, and that's really what we do. So the uh, Financial Survival Network is a series of podcasts and radio shows and there's also something called the Financial Survival Toolkit. What is in that? Uh, just various ways to uh, places to get gold if you think that that should be part of your, your thing. If you think you need uh, emergency preparedness uh, food, then you should get that, which I believe everyone should have. If you remember Hurricane Sandy a few years back, I mean, that knocked out the power in Westchester County in Long Island, Places that never knew. I mean, we, even in Westchester, we had so many ice storms and snowstorms uh, that knocked out power over the past few years. Uh, weather extremes, whatever it might be from, and I won't get into any discussions of uh, climate yeah. change, uh, have become the norm all over. And I think that you need to be prepared for anything. Having a couple of weeks of uh, food and and water, not a bad idea under the circumstances. You live in California, you might need a bigger toolkit than, uh, than being in New York. Who knows what's going to happen? Nobody knows. That's why you need to be prepared no matter what. 
So let's start with a kind of a broad view of the world economic situation as you see it now. I mean, the conventional view would be uh, the U.S. market's doing uh, quite, the stock market's been doing well, the economy's growing. In fact, it's growing so much the Federal Reserve is thinking of raising interest rates because they don't want inflation to get out of control. Europe is coming back strongly because they're doing quantitative easing. Their stock markets are running up sharply. China's growing at 7%. India's growing nicely. Japan's doing quantitative easing, so it's coming back nicely. Um, the stock markets have been doing really well for like six years. So, so what could go wrong here? What's, what's the problem? Well, um, if, if debt is the key to, uh, to economic growth, then everything's fine and we have nothing to worry about. But if it, if it was only that simple, we have a debt crisis so what's the uh, Fed's plan for, for fixing things? Quadruple the debt in four years. What's China's plan? Add $20 trillion worth of debt. So sure, nothing can go wrong. Everything's going fine. And stock market, yeah, that's great for those people who are invested in it, but that's the minority of the population. And I don't see that the that small percentage of people or institutions involved in the stock market uh, is helping uh, the country as a whole to really get through this. And then you've also got a really bad thing that's happening with these corporations. They're leveraging up, uh, taking on debt, and buying back their shares. So they're really weakening themselves to make their profits look, look better than I mean, they really are. It's so cheap to borrow today, it's almost free to borrow, and then if they retire shares, they don't have to pay dividends on them, it makes their earnings per share look better. Doesn't this make economic sense for them to do this? Um, not necessarily, because the main problem with debt is that eventually it has to be paid back out of earnings and cash flow, and if your earnings really aren't going up and your cash flow really isn't going up, then eventually you're going to have to pay the piper. Now, maybe Apple is the exception, and they have the earnings and cash flow to get rid of that debt, but so many companies out there are artificially inflating their per share price, and they aren't going to have the earnings and cash flow to retire that debt, and they're going to be winding up with a trip to the bankruptcy court. Let's, Not let's a good, talk about the government a for a minute. Let's talk yeah. about the, the U.S. federal government. So we're, we're at the $18.1 trillion debt limit now. They're going to play games, but pretty soon that will be resolved one way or the other. Um, so the argument on the traditional side would be the deficit is like a third of what it used to be. We had like $1.3 trillion. Now it's going to be only $400 billion. So the debt's going down all the time. In fact, people talk about a shortage of treasury bonds. Uh, so again, what could be the problem with our debt coming down and we're only at $18 trillion in debt? Only at eighteen trillion, and that's uh, not taking into account all of the unfunded liabilities that are down the road. Social Security, Medicare. Uh, let's talk about this wonderful economy where more people have gone onto disability than jobs that have been created. The unemployment numbers are totally cooked. Uh, that five point six percent. Yeah, well, if you work one hour a week or you you actually go and um, and make $20 per week, you're not considered unemployed. If you stop working, stop looking for work rather, or you stop getting unemployment, hey, guess what? You're no longer unemployed even though you want to be employed. 
they play all sorts of nonsensical games with those numbers. You, you know all about it. They're just fraudulent. Look at the U6 number, the underemployment, the engineers who are flipping burgers, taking any kind of job, and then you look at the deleterious effect that Obamacare has had upon the economy where we're no longer a nation of fully employed people. We're a nation of part-timers. The economy is in really bad shape. It's never really recovered, and now the numbers are getting softer, and uh, not to mention the quantitative easing in Europe and the currency wars taking place, the dollar breaking 100 last Friday, and exports going down, imports going up. Hey, I don't want to be a gloom and doomer, but I want to be realistic and help you understand that uh, this thing is not coming up roses. Okay, very good. Well, I, you're definitely, you know, realistic is good. I'm going to get into all these things in more detail. We're going to take a break at the moment. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network, and you can find out more about him at his website, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network, which you can find out more at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Uh, so it's, it's it's fun. I like uh, being on the hot seat myself. I usually, uh, you know, it's usually the other way around, but it's always nice. All right, well, let's go through some of the specific areas you talked about. The first one is the dollar. So the U.S. dollar has been rising sharply. The Europeans are trying to devalue their currency by quantitative easing. The Japanese are devaluing their yen by quantitative easing. Even the Chinese are devaluing their currency. There's kind of this race to the bottom, and as a result, the U.S., even though we may have problems, looks like the best place around the world. Money is pouring into the U.S., pushing up the value of the dollar. So what's wrong with that? That sounds like a good thing to have a strong currency. Yeah, well, it's it's a relatively strong uh, currency. You know, it's not that it's not that we have this really robust, great economy that's doing so well. What it is is that everyone else is doing so badly, and you have potential euro breakup. That's that's downright frightening, you know. Is, is it on on balance better to have a U.S. Uh, strong dollar? And there are some negative effects, but on balance, is it a better thing or a worse thing? Well, given my druthers, uh, I'd rather have my money in dollars than in uh, euros. But what happened was that uh, look, it's the mother of all shorts here, Jordan. Back uh, five six years ago, everyone thought the dollar, me included, I bought into the conventional wisdom. Dollar was headed for the dustbin of history, and it will eventually, my personal opinion. Uh, but everyone thought it's going down the drain, and it surely looked like it was. And so they borrowed long in dollars, and everybody was borrowing dollars. And what happened? Then, effectively, they're going short because they're borrowing long in dollars, and then they have to pay back in dollars so that creates this multi-trillion dollar demand for dollars because they got to pay back. And then their economies slow down and boom, they're getting killed right now. And so you if see their it. currencies are falling, like the British, yeah. Real, the Brazilian real or Euro yeah. or the Russian ruble, those kind of things. Well, they have to pay back in dollars. It's very expensive for them to do so is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so what is going to be the impact of that on particularly developing countries like a Brazil or South Africa, or Russia, or other places that need, have borrowed a lot in dollars and now have to pay back. Oh, devastation, right? I mean, it's devastating. I, I'm not the uh, most brilliant international finance guy, but you don't have to be to see what's happening to them. I mean, they are imploding here, Jordan, before your very eyes. It's, it's shocking to see it. And the euro, especially the euro, which was going to be the backup reserve currency to the dollar. Eventually, it was going to supplant the dollar, right? And now look at it, and you wouldn't touch it. I mean, I haven't looked at it much today. I've been really busy. But when I started out my day, it was under 106. Now, it doesn't take much to imagine that eventually the even the Federal Reserve will come to the conclusion that, oops, we can't allow the euro to implode, there's going to be a Hail Mary. At some point, everybody is going to pile in, every central bank is going to pile in and try to save that currency and probably isn't going to work, but they'll give it their best. I mean, the Europeans are saying that the reason they're yeah. doing quantitative easing in Europe is to mm -hmm. get the euro. They're trying to do exactly what's happening. It's working. 
in order to make their exporters more competitive. In fact, it's helping Germany and France to export more. Uh, so we lose Greece, it's no big deal. This is actually helping Europe turn around. That would be the traditional view of these things. Yeah, well, uh, they had to kill it. Remember that in Vietnam? We had to kill the village to save it. <laughs> so when, let me ask you a question. When the uh, euro hits 75 and you can buy a Mercedes cheaper than you can buy a, uh, a Chevy Volt, is that, has that saved the euro? I don't know. Well, the Germans will sell a lot of cars. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the Germans will be working for $15 an hour. I don't think they're going to be happy about it. And look what happened with the Swiss franc breaking. The Swiss Central Bank finally said, we can't hold the peg to the euro any longer. we got to stop it or our, uh, our central bank is going to go bust. And, and that's had repercussions all over the world. Uh, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think the euro is sustainable, not in its current form. They will have to jettison Italy and Spain and Portugal. And we go back again to, to all these currencies in Europe. I, I just don't see it. And I don't believe You really that think that's going to happen, that the euro will not survive, that people, countries will go back to the, the Deutschmark and the Franc and the Lira, that I, the euro will disappear? I don't see it in its current format. No, I, I can't see Italy staying there. Some people talk Spain. about a euro heavy and a euro light. That there'll be the northern part will be the heavy, and then you'll have a euro light in the southern core. You know, uh, they could call it what they like, but it's not going to exist the way it exists now. That much you could be certain of. It just can't. Because and what is the solution for Greece, which has borrowed all this money to keep going in euros? And, I mean, they're in really bad shape. But now they've got this new left-wing government in that's going to basically uh, renege on all their debts. Will that solve their problems? It's not going to solve any problems. But once one country defaults on their sovereign debt, it's going to be a cataclysmic falling of the dominoes. Because once one starts doing it, all the weak players do it. And then it'll be like subprime debt. Oh, the subprime debt, it's, it's contained. It's only, it's only affecting uh, subprime borrowers. And then before you knew it, it affected the entire mortgage market. I think that's what's going to happen around the, debt, around the globe to uh, sovereign debt. Because sovereign debt always gets defaulted on. And eventually they figure out how to make it go away. And we start the cycle over again. I think that's what's going to happen here. I think eventually all sovereign debt is going to go down the toilet because it's not worth anything because once politicians figure out that they can borrow money and it becomes somebody else's problem to pay it back, it encourage all, encourages all sorts of bad behavior and we wind up in the situation we're in now. And so tell me, just, so let's kind of go through exactly what you just said and how that's going to work. So say Greece defaults and then you start having these other defaults. Um, so the creditors, people who are owed that debt, take enormous losses. So how does this kind of work its way through the economy? I would think that would make the U.S. dollar even stronger because we look like a much safer place compared to all these things going on in oh, Europe. Oh, yeah. So how does that whole thing uh, unravel? Kind of give me the scenario of how what you're talking about happens. I think we're in kind of uncharted territory because we also have the derivatives that supposedly hold all this garbage up. And those derivatives are going to go blow up. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's not going to be pretty. I think all the money uh, will come to the U.S. 
because regardless what anybody says, and I didn't realize this until recently, but it's not so much the dollar and the petrodollar and all that. It's really the infrastructure. When you've got, when you're an insurance company in Europe or you're somebody, a wealthy person in Asia, and you've got $5 billion you want to put to rest at night and you want to be able to sleep, there is no other game in town except the U.S. dollar. And the Chinese can come up with all sorts of, of new exchanges and new this and new that. But come tomorrow morning, if you want that $5 billion to be there, there is only the U.S. dollar. There's nothing else. Because and, in the past, people had talked about getting away from the dollar and creating some kind of alternative mm-hmm. uh, central uh, currency. Uh, that you hear a little bit less about that today, yeah. but there's still a lot of people. Eventually, yeah. eventually, that will be the case. But right now, no way. Uh, I don't care who it is or what it is. It's going to be the dollar. There's not enough Swiss francs to go around. There's not enough uh, Norwegian krona, and there's just no other game in town. And you know, I overlooked that. But, now I you're thought, saying all this would not have happened had we stayed on the gold standard. Is that correct? It's all Nixon's um, fault. Well, I think uh, I think what it is, not so much the gold standard, it's just uh, taking on debt without any regard to how it's going to be paid off. Irresponsible expansion of government, making promises that you can't possibly afford to pay, that's what it's about. And so... Nixon just taking us off the gold standards, kind of just the acknowledgement of that being the status quo, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, had we stayed on the gold standard at that time, you think things would be in better shape now? Well, we would have had to have revalued the price of gold going from, uh, what was it, $42 or whatever it was on the yeah. balance sheet for to $400. So, uh, it would have required an acknowledgement that the current means of financing government expenditures was unsustainable and a new method had to had to had to be uh, created and gold would have remained an essential component of the international system and uh, a dealing with reality but once uh, once it, that discipline was broken we saw a tremendous inflation occur, inflation coming from a loss of confidence in the dollar. And it's interesting that confidence comes back to the dollar now, not so much confidence in our leadership or our monetary system, but fleeing confidence from everybody else's, whether it's China's, Japan's, or the euro, or name your country there. And you know, it's, we look bad, better comparison to all the ones that are worse, basically, is what you're saying. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what it comes down to, the uh, best-looking horse in the glue factory, if you will. Now, now you said we're, this is uncharted territory. Have there been times since you're a, study, a student of history where there have been similar situations, where there was governments running rampant, <clears throat> printing oh, sure. a lot of money, taking a lot of debt? And, and what is the end game when that happens? Well, end games, you know, often hyperinflations often deflations. Um, you can have them happening simultaneously, like uh, happened in China in World War II. Certain provinces, they didn't have communications. Certain 
provinces had hyperinflation, others had deflation at the same time. Uh, we can't have exactly that type of thing. Keeps happening, you know, it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes type of thing. Um, obviously, a deflationary bust and an inflationary bust can happen in different countries at the same time. So uh, it's, it's impossible to know exactly what's going to happen, but you can see the outlines. I mean, look what's happening with oil right now. And what fed the oil boom and this great malinvestment, but was cheap money, complements of the Federal Reserve, because if interest rates were at their natural level, whatever that might be, and we haven't known it, you or I, in our lifetimes, um, money would have been more expensive, just like subprime housing, and maybe you wouldn't have had this bubble in oil production. And now bust, yes. Yeah. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. We're going to come back with Carrie Lutz after the break and talk about what you can do about all this coming disaster <laughs> uh, to invest in, and profit from all this. Uh, my guest this hour is Carrie Lutz, the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Hey, pleasure, Jordan. 
we've got a situation now where you say there's hyperinflation and deflation going on around the world at the same time. So you're now an investor and you're advising investors. Uh, what is the way to thrive in this wildly volatile, unprecedented, uncharted waters we're in? Well, first, of course, I always have to give the caveat I'm not a, uh, a financial licensed financial advisor. And if you listen to me, I guarantee you, you will lose money, at <laughs> least in the short term. Uh, so with that out of the way, okay. um, you know, I like uh, real estate a lot, but I don't like it in New York and the go-go markets where there's a lot of international money pouring in because that money could stop in a moment, you know. And New York, uh, to make money in New York, Miami, L.A., you've you got to be part of that clubhouse. You really, it's really tough. So it's overinflated, you're saying, because of all this foreign yeah. coming in. Always is. Yeah. Um, but, so where would you, you know, buy real estate then? And how would you do it? Uh, would you do it physical or you do real estate investment trusts? How would you do it? Um, you know, I like uh, if you can do it hands-on in Florida, in places where population is going up in those few states, um, Arizona, Nevada, uh, states that really got killed by the uh, bust um, because they got so killed. I mean, to give you, for instance, a good friend of mine uh, who's been a real estate investor through thick and thin and doesn't use any leverage, not that I believe that's necessarily the way to go, but he buys lots now in the two to ten thousand dollar range that we're trading for ten times the amount that they're selling for now, it's just remarkable. How and that's much. because you had a, a, a deflationary bubble, the, the credit crunch. People couldn't get yeah. loans, and therefore they couldn't go and pay these outrageous prices now. So you, by buying things at these cheaper prices, are you saying that we're going to get another? Surge like that, where credit will get easy and these get get another bubble that you could sell at high um, prices. I'm not sure about that. I just think when they're trading at ten cents on the dollar from where they were, um, I just believe that that they will uh, that because population is going up, uh, they will go up. Uh, just do you like more land, or you do like? Um, you know, apartments and, and things that are occupied. Oh, I like uh, cash-flowing cash property. Uh, cash-flowing property that uh, that will give you, because we're in an era of financial repression right now where basically you get zero return on your money. Mm -hmm. uh, compliments of the Federal Reserve, right? I mean, that's what it, what it comes down to. Uh, so getting positive cash flow rental properties is one way to go. And uh, so absolutely. Do you yeah. like real estate investment trusts that do that as well or only actual properties? Uh, when they're well-managed uh, with good management and honest numbers, if, you can, if you're in a position to ascertain that, definitely. So what right? would be a reader too that you would like that would have good management and good numbers? Um, I can't really say that because uh, I'm not in that sector at this point. But okay. I, all I can say is I go with the theory. That if you can find one that you uh, trust, you know, and you're you're probably better at that than I am. I'm more okay. of a hands-on kind of person, and I've made money in apartments before, you know, small apartments, big apartments, and uh, foreclosures, things like that. So, mm -hmm. so the yeah. other area that you you like, at least as a part of the portfolio, is precious metals and gold. So, do yes. you like 
what what is the case for gold and precious metals at a time when you have these deflationary trends in some places, hyperinflationary trends in others, this huge credit bubble? Why would gold do well in that kind of environment? Um, I don't know that it's going to do well. I look at it more like uh, as an insurance policy, if you will. Okay, that uh, I don't have any respect or trust for these uh, these guys who are in charge of the monetary policy of the country. Um, I think they've done a really, really rotten job of things so far, and it could get a lot worse and probably will. And I see the rest of the world uh, loading up on gold, particularly the Chinese, the Indians, the Russians, and things could get bad. And I could see gold becoming part of the monetary system again. The other thing is that because of the way that the prices have been manipulated, in my opinion, I see production heading downward in gold and silver over the uh, short and medium term, at the very least, mining mining sector in big trouble, and that could lead to an increase in prices for that reason alone. You're saying so, less supply because of less production yeah. and more demand because of all this. I mean, gold exactly. has not done well for a few years here. What is going to make it uh, turn around, and, and when would you cash in on your insurance policy, so to speak? Um, you know... Sometimes, uh, sometimes you never cash in on your insurance policy. Sometimes uh, your life insurance policy, your heirs are the ones to cash in on it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that uh, maybe, uh, maybe the stock market takes a huge hit and your gold goes up. And, and then you uh, swap your gold for, for stocks at that point. Mm-hmm. Hard to say. Hard to say. But I like, I like uh, disfavored uh, segments of the economy and and you know for the average person there's just not a lot of uh of undervalued plays left there just isn't some would say that gold and oil kind of move similarly and oil has been plunging really showing a deflationary trend mm-hmm. uh you're saying oil could keep going down but gold would would go up and the, the, there would be a delinking of those two is that what you're saying uh, it's, it's entirely possible. It really hasn't, you know, in the past uh, three, four months, I, I the last time I looked at the price of oil today, it was down around 43 and change. Right. At the same time, uh, gold's been around the same price in the mid-1100s to 1300 or so. It's been, yeah. been in that channel. So it hasn't done anything well, well, Oil's gone down about 55%. So that should tell you something there, that, uh, that oil's a lot more volatile. But still, where oil's going to go, I don't think uh, it can go down that long, that much more for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as the way to buy gold, uh, would you favor physical coins and bars or gold mining shares? Or gold ETFs, or, or, or like a GLD. What is the best way to play gold? I mean, and, and the other things you've been saying, you want positive cash flow, like with real estate. Does that apply to gold as well? Well, it's getting to the point where your savings in the bank are going to start getting negative interest rates anyway. Um, certainly, real negative interest rates. 
you know, it's really a subjective thing. I don't believe in, for me, uh, gold stocks or mining stocks, ETFs. Uh, you never really know if they have the gold there or not. The audits are uh, subject to debate, that's for sure. Uh, can't get straight answers out of uh, the trustees of the metal. They have sub-trustees. It's, it's, it's a real... <laughs> You start getting into major conspiracy theories. So what I would say is uh, if you're into gold in the first place as an insurance policy, somehow you want to possess the physical, whether it's probably not advisable to have it in your house uh, in this day and age, but you want to have it someplace secure. And how would you buy uh, uh, bullion coins or numismatics? And would you buy American eagles or... Chinese pandas, what kind of gold coins and bars would you like? You know, coins, uh, you start getting into the bars, then you ha have the uh, prospect of, of uh, counterfeits there. Coins, not so much. Um, and what type of bullion coin you get doesn't really matter so much, although for, for a variety of reasons, you're probably better off sticking with American eagles. Uh, technically, it's... Uh, it's American currency, even though it isn't. Um, but either that or maple leaves, mm -hmm. Grands. So give me the scenario here. Everything you say that's going to happen, happen. We don't know when, but you're going to get this deflationary plunge and this super hyperinflationary surge at the same time. All this debt is going to implode. The euro is going to break up. Uh, all these wonderful things you've talked about are going to be happening. And you're sitting there with your bag of gold coins. How are you protected against all these things happening when you're sitting there with your bag of gold coins? Well, it's when you put it that way, there's no <laughs> real protection against uh, anything in life. But put it this way um, when your currency has gone down 80% or 90% in its purchasing power, your gold might very well. Uh, have gone up 80 or 90 percent in its purchasing power. Uh, it's theoretical, but the analogs, we go back to the Weimar Republic. We go back really to, uh, to the uh, hyperinflations that have occurred recently. Um, Zimbabwe, uh, look at those $10 trillion bills. Uh, when the hyperinflations have occurred, They've been pretty vicious, but even if it's not hyperinflation, if it's just 10, 15% inflation, you'll see uh, your bullion holdings accelerate. So hard assets hold up when yeah. the currency, like right now in Russia with the ruble falling, you're saying individuals would like to hold gold because the value of their currency is disappearing in front of their eyes. Exactly. Exactly. And not necessarily, you know, just because it hasn't done well in US dollars, in almost every other currency, gold and silver are at or near their all-time highs. That's what you mm -hmm. have to understand. Mm -hmm. so, so those are things to consider. But like I say, I don't make financial recommendations. I'm not a, a licensed financial planner. It's, it's just a factor to consider uh, if you haven't already. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz, the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more about him at the com. 
We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network, and you can find out more at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Hey, so, yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun, and uh, <laughs> keep the questions coming. It's keeping right. me sharp. So one of the things you're talking about is the demographic shift in the United States from the north to the south um, and the kind of western states, politically from the blue states to the red states. Tell me about why that's happening and what are the political implications of that? Well, you know, I had my own ideas about it. And I read an article not too long ago that really clarified it. It's fascinating. Um, We go back, the invention of air conditioning is a big, big factor. Um, Because if you didn't have air air conditioning, there's no way you could live in Florida in the summer. or as many people who do, because you know, 95 degrees and 95% humidity is just just a horror. But putting that aside, uh, in Florida uh, and in the South, in the uh, red states, one of the things is that you spend much less on housing. Um, 
it comes out to less than half. Sometimes in some places, it could be as little as 20% of your housing cost as you spend in New York. Um, and it, obviously, it's not, uh, it's not apples and apples. Sometimes it's apples and oranges, and I'm not talking about living in uh, a trailer either. No. Uh, but, it's not but, only housing, it's taxes, it's other things. Yeah, the cost of living taxes. is much lower. Yeah. yeah, we don't have an income tax here in Florida. So all factors, uh, you know, there's no So you're saying local. the population long-term is going to continue to shift to the south and the west oh, yeah. to some extent, the, the southwest. Yeah. So that yep. you're saying that that's politically making it more difficult for uh, unions and Democrats to, to do well. So you should yeah. be happy about that, right? That means that salvation is coming in your view. Well, well, it, it all boils down to purchasing power, consumption, you know, how far your dollar goes. And it goes further here because mm-hmm. of the taxes, because the power of the unions. I will say what I've learned is that, that uh, up north, uh, workers have to be more productive. It's not necessarily that they want to be or inherently are, but uh, you got to work harder up there because uh, – you got more debt and conditions, so you're going to have to work harder up north because you don't have a choice because you must be more productive. That's what working harder means. Because you have your, more expenses to, to cover. Yeah, so, yes. you got a bigger nut, right? So, so How what is this going to do? Mean, it? So we've got this 18 trillion in debt, and uh, you're saying there's this kind of move to red states and more conservative voting patterns. So does that mean we're going to get the debt under control uh, because of the, the politicians are more pressure to do so? That I'm not making that I will uh, I'm not making any bets on because uh, it's just you can never underestimate the stupidity or overestimate the stupidity of politicians and what they will do to get elected and. If you don't believe that, just look at all your uh, politicians that have been indicted in New York. And our politicians are just as corrupt and crooked in Florida, if not worse, than they are in uh, New York. So, you know. It's not about corruption, though, really. I mean, you're saying that there's a – I mean, you're saying that the country, U.S. government, is getting more conservative is what it comes down to. And and that's going to have impact. So you're seeing it, for example – here you've had, under the Obama administration, several major initiatives, Obamacare, the Dodd-Frank financial regulations, environmental regulations, the um, immigration, all these things, which seem to be out of step with what you're saying the direction the country is going. So how is that happening? Well, uh, somehow the guy got elected twice. So, uh, you know, he reads a mean teleprompter. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> and and people want to uh, solve the problems without any pain, right? I mean, we would all like to be able to to live forever without getting older, but that just ain't going to happen. All right, right? So I'm going to anoint you now. I'm going to anoint you as president of the world here, uh. and and <laughs> we're going to run things under the Austrian school. You will be you'll channel Mr. Von Mises. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have you take over now as president and Federal Reserve chairman. What would you do to make things better in the current circumstance? Well, there, we're kind of uh, 
past the point of redemption here. But, <laughs> but, but, but look, uh, gotta, gotta get, gotta get rid of fractional reserve banking. This concept of a flexible money supply is the ruination of man. Uh, you can't just bring on more money when it seems like a good idea and then keep all that money there and contract the money supply because then we have really bad things happening. That's not a good thing here, Jordan. Um, either Has this been done in history? We've not had that kind of money system? With a, without a fractional reserve yes. uh, banking? Yeah. Uh, from 1860 to 1913, uh, when we were on the classical gold standard, um, there was no central bank in the United States after uh, Andrew Jackson to, up to uh, the chartering of the Federal Reserve in 1913. So the economists would say that yeah. caused this huge ups and downs. You had these major depressions like in the 1870s and the big surges, that there was no kind of thermometer, thermostat, I guess you might say, for the economy. That would be the, the classic argument right. why you need the Federal Reserve. Yeah, and and then what happened since uh, 1913? Maybe I've been, a, maybe I missed something. Uh, history hasn't exactly vindicated the founding of the Federal Reserve either. I mean, we've had some major gyrations. I think uh, something happened in 1929. Uh, a lot of bank closures uh, in. And of course, the argument would be that it would have been much worse had we not had the Fed. It would have been much worse, is what they would say. Yeah, well. Tell that to all those people selling apples on the street corners of New York City. I mean, come on. It's, uh, look, always had panics. Always had, go back to the South, South Sea bubble. Go back to tulip mania. I mean, look, we could go on and on about this thing. Um, but the thing is, it's like central banking, Jordan's like daylight savings time. All right? As much as we would like to get more daylight in a day, you just can't do it because there's only 24 hours in a day. And depending where we are in the cycle of the year, there's only going to be so much light in a day. And you can try to move things around with the clock and play games. There's only so much light in a day. So this daylight savings thing is just a scam. And so is central banking because there's a cycle of confidence, there's a cycle of enthusiasm, and you could have the Federal Reserve give away money on every street corner, and you're still going to have these economic panics, just like we had in uh, 08, 09, just like we had in 29, and just like we had periodically all along. But we had higher growth rates as a nation before the Federal Reserve existed. I mean, they would argue that in 2008, 2009, had the Fed not been there, we would have fallen off a cliff and gone into a total worldwide depression about that we could never get out of, that the Fed saved us. That would be kind of the traditional <laughs> view. I know, and they love for you to believe it, but had the Fed not have been there in the first place, we might not have gotten into that situation in the first place. Uh, that's the countervailing argument, and you know we're never going to know it because the Fed is there. It ain't going away. And believe me, I don't think the uh, gold standard in and of itself is the bomb uh, that's going to save us. But what I do believe is that uh, the debt that the Federal Reserve facilitates that couldn't exist without them, 
and the interest that they charge on it uh, that shouldn't exist uh, makes everything a lot more costly. Seventy percent of the nationals of the nation's uh, deficit is interest that's uh, paid on money that was created out of nowhere that goes to all these bankers. All right, all of your uh, debt that you pay on your mortgage is money that's been created out of nowhere thanks to the fractional reserve banking yes. that you pay to the bank. So why should they get that right? Okay, very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kerry Letts. Uh, he's the founder of the Financial Survival Network. has a lot of interesting ideas, as you can see. So you can go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com. He's got a lot of interviews, all kinds of interesting things on there. And thanks for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Kerry. Hey, it's really been a pleasure. And uh, we'll have you back on our show soon. And thank you so much for thinking of me, Jordan. Very good. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.